0: I'm Pastor Phil. For those that don't know me, I have the privilege of leading Abundant Life. And uh, I hear Char talk about how, you know, life is but a vapor. I'm thinking, I'm twice your age. I mean, I can tell you about that. Because uh, you may think it's passing fast now. You're just going to be amazed, honestly. And you're defining your future in your 20s, the kind of life you're going to live in your 50s and 60s. And that really is what we've been studying on Tuesday nights uh, in Ecclesiastes, learning the wisdom of this man in history known as Solomon. Now, sometimes we think, you know, we're separated by these 20 years or whatever between our generations, and I am old enough to be a lot of your fathers, not all of you, but at least some of you, or at least a big brother, something like that. And sometimes we think, well, we're I'm you know, not sure we have that much in common, you know, there's this generational divide. But you realize there's at least one thing that our generation has in common, at least one thing that connects us. It's Rocky. <laughs> Amen? Anybody, Rocky fans, anybody? Come on now. I mean, it's amazing, seriously. We were watching Rocky in the 70s and 80s, and then Rocky is still around, like, not just in the 90s, but in the 2010s and the 2010s, really, seriously, it's amazing. And so, uh, Rocky seems to kind of connect us. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen Rocky Five. It may have been the worst one they ever made, Seriously? Rocky V with Tommy Gunn. Tommy Gunn. I don't know if that rings a bell with anybody, but, but Tommy Morrison played Tommy Gunn in Rocky V. Now, this is my claim to fame. A lot of you don't know this. Some of you might know this, but back in the 90s, long before I knew I'd be in ministry, long before I knew I'd ever be a pastor, I was a policeman, KCPD. And my uh, moment of fame came in 1993 when I arrested this guy, Tommy Morrison, Seriously, who played Tommy Gunn in Rocky Five? Now, here's the deal. Here's the backstory. I had become kind of a fan of Tommy Morrison. Long before his acting career, he had a boxing career. He was a professional boxer, he was a heavyweight boxer and i kind of become a fan of this guy because we had some things in common, or at least I thought I did. Uh, We were both the same age. He was class of 87. I was class of 87. Uh, We were both Kansas City kids. He lived in Kansas City, Kansas. I lived in Kansas City, Missouri. So, you know, we're kind of connected that way. We were both athletes. You know, this is the time I'm playing football at University of Kansas, and he's got this boxing career, and I'm telling you guys, he was an up-and-comer. Now, a lot of people don't follow boxing now like they did back then because MMA is kind of, you know, stolen the show. But back then, guys, boxing was a big deal. And everybody followed boxing. And Tommy Morrison was this up-and-comer, and I was kind of following his career. I'd kind of become a fan because, you know, we feel like we kind of have some things in common. And so I'm kind of following his career, and here's this Kansas City kid. I mean, he's my age, and, you know, he's starring kind of as a local celebrity, and he's on these local TV commercials, and next thing you know, he's starring next to Sylvester Stallone, and these uh, Rocky Five, and he's in the movies, and, you know, he's boxing his way to the top of the heavyweight uh, title belt. And uh, the problem for Tommy, though, was this, guys. Tommy, he liked to hit people. And I don't just mean in the ring. He liked to hit people outside of the ring. And so one night in 1993, I'm working Westport, and Westport back then, kind of like today, it was kind of a party spot, and I see this big, long stretch limo pull up to a curb, and this guy steps out. It's Tommy Morrison, and I'm down there. I'm on duty and just kind of keeping the peace and trying to keep the party contained a little bit. You know, hopefully you don't know that much about that, but you probably know a little bit about that. Oh, don't sit there like you're all self-righteous. Westport, what's he talking about? You know, okay, so you kind of get the scene, right? And so there's kind of a party, party spills out on the streets, and, you know, cops are there, and we're just trying to make sure everybody, you know, stays safe, and yada, yada, yada. Tommy Morrison gets out of the stretch limo, he walks up to this guy, and out of nowhere just pops him right in the face. And it's one of those times as a cop, you're going like, oh, I wish I didn't just see that. (laughs) Please, I wish I didn't just see that. Because, you know, now I'm going to have to do something about it. Sure enough, the guy gets popped in the face. He turns around. He sees me. And, of course, he wants me to go arrest Tommy Morrison. And so this is weird. Like, this is my hero. This is like I'm a fan of Tommy Morrison. And now I'm going to go arrest this guy. And then it begins to set in. I'm going to go arrest a professional heavyweight fighter. Now I'm six foot six. At the time, I weigh about two sixty. I'm like I'm not a small guy, and I I can handle myself. And I can say there's only about twice in eight years I was a little bit scared when I went to arrest somebody. I was just twice in eight years, and this is one of the times. I'm just being honest with you because I'm not near as bad as some of them thought I was. Okay, so I, I, I I've got to go. I got to go arrest Tommy Morrison, this professional fighter. He is known for a wicked left hook. I mean, he knocks everybody out, and he's a professional, and so I got to arrest him. I'm walking up to him. I'm telling you, I mean, my heart, ba I'm trying to look like I'm not scared inside. I'm, like, way scared. I'm like, ba-boom, 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 ba I walk up to Tommy Morrison, and I think, you know, the fight could be on. I mean, he's in a mood to fight. He's just slugged one guy. I'm watching that left hook of his. I'm like, oh, i about to throw down, about to get it on, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. He takes one look at me, and. Don't want nothing. He thought maybe I was like that Russian from Rocky IV. I don't know. I don't know. But he was very compliant. He turns around. I arrest him, put him under arrest, and uh, I take him to jail. And I thought to myself at the time, what a horrible, horrible story for Tommy Morrison. I mean, here is this guy. My hero is in handcuffs. I mean, here's a guy that I'd watched over and over again from the inside of a boxing ring, and now I'm watching him from the inside of a jail cell And I think to myself, talk about unrealized potential. Here is a man with all types of opportunity, all types of ability. This is a man that's already at 20-something, extremely wealthy, with lots and lots of money, yet you talk about unrealized potential, and do you understand that that's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes is about? As we've been studying Ecclesiastes, we're studying the words of a man at the end of his life who's now contemplating his life. The words, of course, are Solomon's, and here is a man, Solomon, I don't know if you know a lot about him historically, he was the king of Israel, he was the king of the world's superpower at about a 1,000 years B.C. Here is a man at the pinnacle of power, here is a man at the pinnacle of pleasure, here is a man that had all types of possessions, here is a man that knew prestige and popularity, but I want you to see that Ecclesiastes is about a man who knew the pinnacle of power, prestige, and pleasure, and possessions, but he comes to this one conclusion, all that matters is whether or not I have wisdom. Because the reality is that whether or not you live abundantly is not defined by whether or not you have lots of money, or whether you have lots of ability, or whether you have lots of opportunity. It's whether or not you can live wisely. And so I want to ask you tonight, are you preparing yourself to live abundantly by living wisely? Because the reality is what we're learning in the book of Ecclesiastes is this one word will take you farther than anything else you can accumulate in life. It's a book of wisdom. And what we have tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is basically, we might call this Solomon's Twitter feed. All right, we're reading his tweets, and you have kind of some proverbs and some principles, kind of one after another, as he begins to kind of wind down this book of Ecclesiastes, just words of wisdom, things he has learned now as an older man through all the mistakes he had made as a younger man, when he's starting to realize in that older stage of life, perhaps all the unrealized potential in his own life. And so I want to ask you tonight, uh, what is the unrealized potential in your own life? Do you understand tonight that you have a destiny as a child of God? If you know Jesus personally, and you have placed your faith in what he did at Calvary, you've been born again by faith in him. You've been forgiven of your sin. That means you have a new father. You're in a new family, and you've been born again spiritually. Guess what Jesus said? Here's your destiny. In John 10 and verse 10, I've come to give you life, and you can have it more abundantly. But do you realize you cannot walk that out practically, experientially, if you're not learning to live wisely? Now here's the deal, the world doesn't lack knowledge. Do you realize we live at a time in history where there is more knowledge available than there has ever been in all of humanity? We live in a time of history where there is more knowledge opportunity than ever before, more opportunity for education. But do you know that you can have a highest education and still lack wisdom? Do you understand that tonight you you can get on Google, and Google has made everybody smarter. You can find out almost anything you need to, anything you want to, as fast as your fingers can do the walking. You see, the reality is knowledge is not the problem, but what we lack in our modern society is wisdom. Not education, it's wisdom. What is wisdom? I think Chad has kind of shared this. Wisdom is what? Applied knowledge. And here's the reality, there is no wisdom apart from walking with God. Listen carefully, as you choose in life to walk with God, that means you're walking in wisdom. But when you choose to walk apart from God, you're no longer walking in true wisdom, you're walking in the world's wisdom, and I'm going to tell you tonight, the world's wisdom is distortion. The world's wisdom is deception. Romans chapter 1, if you're taking notes, you might just jot this down. Romans chapter 1, go back and read this on your own time. Because the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 tells us how we get where we are today, I'm convinced, in 21st century American society, and not just as a society, but sometimes individually, personally, listen to what it says, Romans chapter 1, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Okay? Uh, when you knew God, you glorified Him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, what's amazing in Romans one is that word for fool is the Greek word morano. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's the word we get moron. He's saying in Romans 1 professing themselves to be wise, they became morons. We become a nation of educated morons, educated fools. And you see, the reality is not for a lack of ability. It's not for a lack of opportunity. It's not for a lack of money. The reality is when we live in folly, we live foolishly instead of living wisely. We can never live out all the potential God gives each of us individually. We can never attain all the potential that God destined for us from eternity. And so Solomon gives us some words of wisdom tonight. And I hope maybe we can learn from some of these, this wisdom as we kind of look at the highlight reel of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're not going to dissect every verse because we just don't have that kind of time. But I, I kind of want to give you the, the highlights, uh, the, the tweetable moments in Solomon's life as he begins to really give us some fatherly advice from a man that lived a long time and made a lot of his own mistakes. All right, first of all, it says, watch this. All right, wisdom guards your character. We're we'll learn tonight that wisdom guards your character. All right, look what it says, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. He says these words, dead flies putrefy the, perfum- the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. Look at what he says, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Now look at what he's saying, this is, another, this is kind of a proverb, all right, watch this, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Uh, What's Solomon saying? Listen, in ancient days, perfume was a commodity of the wealthy. Now, it's hard to understand today because anybody here can walk into any department store and buy perfume anytime they want. It's really easy. Some of it's costly. Some of it's cheap. But if you want to smell good, you can. That's not a problem. Uh, some of us probably ought to. I'm just saying, all right? So uh, it's not really a problem today, but in ancient days, let's just say BO was a problem. You tracking with me? And uh, let's just say personal hygiene was not as simple then as it is today, okay? So uh, the, the, the idea of having perfume as, as something that you have was a commodity, and, and it wasn't easy. In ancient days, perfume was a real process. The perfumer, the one who made the perfume, uh, was, uh, was a man or a woman that had a real art, and they were really respected, and because they were producing a really, really hard-to-get commodity, and perfume took a long time. Time to make. There was a uh, months in the making of putting all the chemicals together and all the things that they would find in the ancient days that would make one smell good, and you know everything just had to be right, and everything had to be done just right, and everything had to be at the right temperature. And finally, after weeks and months in the making, you'd finally get this finished product. And what Solomon is saying is, listen carefully: one dead fly in the ointment can ruin the entire beauty of the bottle. Hey, in the same way, he's saying you can live wisely for decades of your life and you can walk out the abundant life because you have walked obediently and you're living abundantly because you're learning to walk with God and you're walking wisely, but just one moment of folly can ruin the entire beauty of the bottle. You see, he's saying, listen, we need to make sure that we keep a cover on the ointment. He's saying, just like that one making the perfume, if he left it uncovered, listen, flies are attracted to the perfume for the same reason we're attracted to the perfume, right? You smell somebody that uh, has an attractive smell on, it's like you just want to, well, maybe you shouldn't do this to just anybody. Don't do this to a stranger, okay, because that would really be weird, but somebody's got some perfume on, and it kind of makes you want to go, you know, go back for one more, hey, it smells good, right? Well, guess what? For the same reason it attracts people, it attracts flies. He's saying, listen, the perfumer had to make sure while he was making that perfume and that beauty was in the making, that beauty was in the bottle, you better make sure that you keep it covered because flies are attracted to it too. Do you understand? He's saying that one fly could ruin the entire beauty of the bottle in the same way that one stupid or sinful decision can blow up your entire life and in the potential that God has for you. You can, you can have years and years and years of walking in integrity and pursuing a life that is holy, and one moment of living foolishly or folly, it's like it's going to ruin the entire bottle. Here's the reality, guys. Your life carries an aroma. I don't know if you realize this or not, but everywhere you go, you leave an aroma behind you. When you walk into a room, you bring an aroma with you. And you know, the New Testament over and over again says, as Christians, we are to, it's how it puts it, we're to carry the fragrance of Christ. We're to carry the aroma of life. And see, that's what God wants for your life. And here's the amazing thing, I'm telling you, the longer you live, right now, most of you, you're in your 20s, but you wait. Your life only gets more beautiful the older you get. It becomes a thing of beauty. Don't buy the lie that the best days are behind you. Listen, I have lived through my twenties and those were good days. I've lived through my thirties and those are good days. I lived through my forties and those were good. I'm telling you, the best season of life is the one I'm in now. All right, I'm just trying to give you hope because a lot of you think, well, you know, Phil, he is way over the hill. Uh, there's just like there's no hope when I'm that old. I mean, is there any living left? No, I'm telling you, the best living of life is yet ahead of you. I mean, the best season of life. But here's the reality. Uh, Your life has an opportunity, like perfume in a bottle, to get more beautiful, as life goes on, the years and years of walking with God, you become more and more like Christ. And, and all of a sudden, you start having that aroma of Christ. And the aroma you carry with you is a thing of beauty. And it's years and years in the making, just like that ancient perfumer would take months in the making. Listen, the beauty of your life is years in the making. And what Solomon is saying is don't leave your character uncovered. Because just a moment of folly can ruin the beauty of what God wants to do in your life. Keep your character covered up. Guard it. Now he goes on. Look at what else he says here in verse 2. He says these words, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand. All right, now, I'm a lefty. I'm left-handed. Yeah, thank you. Because we all know that it is a deeply biased, biased world against us lefties. Anybody else? All right, we, we need a we, yeah, we, we need a, a blog or we need a you know we we need a Twitter feed or something. We we need to get together because there's just not enough of us, is there? So here, here's what don't don't be offended by that. He's saying the right hand is a hand of honor. Don't be offended, lefties. I'm a lefty. He's saying the left hand is a hand of dishonor. Now, don't be offended by that, because I'm telling you guys, if I lost my left hand, somebody would have to feed me for the rest of my life. Because I'd be like, ah. you know, I'm just right-handed, I am no good. I mean, you ought to see me throw a baseball right-handed. I was about to say, I'd, I'd throw like a girl, but then that'd offend half the audience. So. I'm not going to say that. I'm like, you know, I'm left-handed all the way. You get what I'm saying? So, so, So understand the spirit. What's going on here? In ancient days, in the ancient Mediterranean world, the right hand was considered the hand of honor. The left hand was considered the hand of dishonor. You know why? You ate with this hand. You wiped with this hand. I'm sorry. That's what's going on here. So my first time ever in the Middle East, I was on the Holy Land tour about ten years ago. We we're going through Israel and I was learning then for the first time that hummus is not an American invention. Did you know that? Yeah. Hummuses have been around for a millennia. Yeah, we weren't the ones to invent that. Imagine. And so they take the pita bread and they would sop the hummus with a little bit of the uh, olive oil and this, you know, this is what they were doing. And I'm, I'm using my left hand because I'm completely a lame duck right-handed. And, and I was informed by my friends from the Middle East that I'm eating with the wrong hand. I'm eating with the hand of dishonor. I was, what are you talking about? The left hand is the hand, <laughs> awkward. The left hand is the hand you wipe with. Here's what Solomon is saying. Our hearts are naturally bent toward dishonor. Now, a wise man recognizes that about himself. See, a wise man, listen carefully, wise men and wise women have learned to trust God greatly but have learned not to trust themselves at all me say it again. A wise man or a wise woman has learned to trust God greatly, but they have learned not to trust themselves at all. See, there's certain things I've learned about my heart. My heart doesn't naturally go right toward a place of honor. My heart naturally bends left toward a place of dishonor. And that's what Solomon is saying. When you know what is right, it is so easy to do what is wrong. And you see, the problem for human beings is always a problem of the human heart, and that is why we must at all times guard our heart. Listen, those who live wisely never compromise their integrity, not even a seed of compromise, not even one little fly in the ointment. Let me ask you, what is the fly in your ointment tonight that has the potential to unravel all your potential? See, listen, it's easy to talk about the big sins, and we talk about it a lot in Paradigm. You know, we talk about big sins like pornography and why that's not a good idea for anybody. We talk about the big sins like promiscuity and, you know, why honestly that's not going to help you have a healthy marriage someday as a single. And, you know, we talk about the, you know, the big sins like alcoholism and the danger of drugs. But, But listen carefully. Wise people understand the real threat to my life is not the big sins, it's just the little flies that I allow in the ointment that have the potential to ruin the beauty of the perfume that God intended for me. It's the little flies I allow to linger in the ointment of my life. Listen, the little flies that have the power to destroy the beauty of your life, those little flies begin to decay. Do you understand that little bitty sin is a place of stench? That little bitty sin, it begins the ruin He's saying, listen, don't don't leave your character uncovered. Listen, don't compromise with those little flies any part of the ointment of beauty of God's life. You see, the beauty is integrity. And when you start compromising just a little bit the integrity, you are compromising the beauty of the bottle, the beauty of the perfume. Uh, And I've learned, listen, my heart, listen, all of us, I don't care who you are, We're all built the same way. We go through the same stuff because we're all made of the same stuff. And what that means is all of our hearts is bent toward dishonor. When we know what is right, we're not bent toward this way. We're not bent toward the right. We're bent toward doing wrong. It's the nature of human beings. It's the nature of us all. The little flies tonight is what I'm talking about. What little flies in your life have the power to unravel the potential that God has for your life? I can tell you personally, it's something I've discovered just just recently. There's a little fly right here. All right, a little fly on my phone. Like, uh, I don't look at pornography. Let me tell you why Pastor Phil doesn't look at pornography. It's not because I don't think I would like it. It's because I know I would you tracking with me and so again I'm like it's like like I I never even in my most prodigal days and like I committed almost honestly I'm not proud of this I'm not boasting in this but before I was walking with Jesus and I was walking in the world's wisdom which is deception and distortion like I tried almost every sin I did and I'm not proud of it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in any way boasting about it. I'm just saying uh, I have learned personally a lot of wisdom from the school of experience. And I'm gonna tell you, when you get your knowledge from the school of experience, you will get an education, but I will promise in the school of hard knocks, you're not just gonna get a lot of education, you're gonna get a lot of pain. Amen. It's better to learn from God's school than the world's school. And so I learned a long time ago, there's certain things I need to stay away from. There's certain lines if I cross, I may never get back on the other side. Pornography, that's easy. Like, mm, right? And, but here's something I've noticed. There's a little fly on my phone. I got this app. It's a news app. And uh, I didn't used to use the news app. Like, you know, I'm old school, right? So that means for me the CBS Evening News At 530, like my kids are like young adults like you. The reason, honestly, I love your generation is because I made three of them. Not by myself, but I had something to do with it, all right? So America's largest generation ever in history, I can say I'm responsible for three of the largest generation ever, okay? So, So my kids give me a hard time, like, Dad, why do you watch the news? Well, it's what we do. I'm old, you're not so they showed me this little app. I got this app. It's a news app. Yeah, so I have to watch the news now. I can start just kind of rolling through this thing, and it gives me, you know, the current events, and I want to be, you know, aware of the current events and what's going on. And so, you know, for the last few weeks, I've kind of made a habit at the end of the day, just start strolling uh, through the current events, and I get the headlines, and I can read the ones I want. I don't have to read the ones I want, but then I notice something. There's news on the news app that you don't get on the news on the television, Fox, CNN, whatever it is. You keep strolling long enough, eventually you're going to get to what we'll just say maybe a racy, kind of edgy news item like the latest rumor surrounding last month's Playboy Bunny or the latest rumor surrounding last year's Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. You tracking with me? So all of a sudden, it's like every time. So I was strolling along, and all of a sudden, well, there's what we'll just call eye candy right there on my phone. I wasn't looking for it. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not being sinful. But all of a sudden, it's there, right? There's a little fly in the ointment. And here's what happens. I'm just being honest with you. My heart is so easily bends toward the left, what is wrong, instead toward the right. What I realized over the course of a couple of weeks is I would purposely keep strumming and strolling through the news so I knew eventually I would get down to just that little flash of nudity. You know what that's called? It's called a fly in the ointment. It's not pornography. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Guys, some of you tonight, honestly, uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't openly say, yeah, I'm looking at pornography. But, hey, you, you'll go ahead and tolerate the little flashes of nudity in that R-rated movie. Yeah, that's just a little fly in the ointment. Hey, for some of us tonight, uh, we, we, we're Christians, and that means we live differently, and that means we date differently, and we know that we're not supposed to have sex with our girlfriend or boyfriend until we're married, that sex is meant for marriage, but, but we're willing to do everything but that, everything except that. You got a lot of flies in your ointment. You understand what I'm saying? And you see those little flies or the little parts of your life that have the power to undo the potential of what God wants to do in you and what God wants to do for you. Hey, for some of us, it's that we are undisciplined. Something as subtle, something that's not obvious at all, undisciplined in uh, our sleep habits. You're not living up to your potential because you're undisciplined in your sleep habits and you don't even think about turning off the light till about two or three o'clock in the morning and the later it gets and the more tired you get, the more you stay on your phone. You see, those little flies have the power to completely steal the potential God has for your life. And that's why it is crucial. Proverbs 4.23, one of my life's verses. And I, I, my kids, man, as I was raising my children, they're all now young adults. This is one of those verses. This is one of the go-to verses in the Hopper home as I was raising up my kids. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. See, your heart is the heart of the issue. Your heart is the place you make your decisions. The heart is that place that you have your vision. The heart is that place you set your course in life and you define your direction. He's saying, listen, if your life is going to be pure above the surface, it's going to have to be pure below the surface. That means you better guard your heart. Keep it covered. Cover your character. Don't allow a fly in the ointment of your life. Guard your heart at all times, because your heart is always under attack from things that want to poison it, things that are toxins for it. It says this, guard your heart. You know why? Listen carefully, because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Hey, every single one of us tonight have a problem. It's a problem of the heart. The heart is naturally bent toward doing wrong, even when we know what is right. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And that is why, even when you know what is right, it is oh so easy to do wrong. And these are the things I would talk to my young adults about when they were growing up in my home. It's hard to believe. Charles said, man, life is but a vapor five years ago. Seems like to me now five months ago, I dropped my oldest son off at college. Uh, he just graduated last weekend from the University of Arkansas. Now, I don't know why you're clapping, but I know why I'm clapping, because I just got a pay raise. Like, I have wrote my last big fat check for Jake's education. Yeah, and it goes to show what a father will do for the love of his children, because the first two years, I was writing those big fat checks to the University of Missouri. Rock Chalk? There's a few godly people. I was wondering, am I all alone of the righteous godly people in the house? That's right. So he graduates last week from Arkansas with a biomedical engineering degree. You say, Phil, what does that mean? I have no idea. I graduated with an organizational communication degree, which is the degree football players got when they didn't know what they want to do with their life. I had no idea. I was raising a smart person all those years in my house, and he, I'm so proud of him, not, not just because he's smarter, I'll tell you why, because he is Wiser. Hey, I'm proud of him now, not merely because of his degree that he got in life, but rather the direction he's going in life. Now I'm going to tell you something, listen, it wasn't always like that. When I dropped Jacob five years ago in Columbia to go to school at the University of Missouri, I honestly wasn't sure what direction he was going to go because uh, honestly, he wasn't walking in wisdom. And uh, I had in my mind's eye that, you know, when I raised my children and, you know, Pastor Phil, and I wanted to be a great godly dad, and I wasn't sure if I was a great godly dad at all because, you know, I wasn't sure, honestly, at that point, what was going to happen with Jake. If you want to know the truth, and he would tell you this story. uh, At that time in his life, he wasn't walking with the Lord. He wasn't walking in godly wisdom. He was walking in deception and distortion, a life of selfish ambition. And I knew he wasn't in a good place when I dropped him off. I mean, there were some flies in his ointment. Let me tell you why I'm so proud of him today. Not because of what he's gonna do, but because of what he is. He's going down to Austin, got his first job, going to Austin, Texas, working for a tech company, and he starts telling me all the stuff he's gonna do for this tech company. And guys, uh, if your mom or dad starts just going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. They don't really know what you're talking about, but just give them a lot of grace, they're trying, okay? So like, he's working for a tech company, and beyond that, I can't really tell you what he's gonna do, but, but the reality is, I don't, I don't really th- think I'm proud of him for what he's gonna do, I'm proud of what he's become. So he texts me this, and he texts me this stuff all the time. This, he's become my brother, he's not just my son, I'm so proud of him, he's like one of my brothers now. And uh, he texted me this recently, Uh, Just a few days ago, the more I grow and acquire humility, the more I realize in the whole story of life, I am a Frodo. Do you guys, you, you know about Fellowship of the Rings, Lord of the Rings? Okay, I admit, like, we are the nerdiest, geekiest family when we're all alone, okay? I just admit, we're a geeky, nerdy family because we might binge on Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I'm just saying Maybe. So Lord of the Rings, you guys know the story. There's this ring, this ring of power. And only a hobbit, the most humblest of creatures, can actually carry this ring because the power corrupts everybody else. And so here's what he says. He's kind of using some of our language. I'm sorry because we're kind of a Lord of the Rings family. I tell you, we're weird. We're nerdy. Okay. The more I grow and acquire humility, the more I realize that in the whole story of life, I'm a Frodo. I'm a small person on a big adventure, and I have courage beyond my abilities. I must leave the comfort and stability of the Shire. This is an epiphany to me because I think all men want to identify with Aragorn. Now, if you know anything about this movie, this trilogy, Aragorn, well, he is the handsome warrior. I mean, everybody thinks he's going to be the hero, but he's not the hero. It ends up being Frodo, the hobbit who's the hero, the little stunted guy, the little short guy. He's not handsome. He's not strong. He's got these big, hairy feet, but he alone can carry the ring of power. You know why? Because only the humblest among us can really handle the success and the power that God wants to bring us. And I'm trying to tell you tonight that God wants you to live with power. Yes, God wants you to have success in life. But until you begin walking in humility and see yourself for who God is, and only then can you see yourself for who you are, you can't handle the power and the potential that God wants to give you. And until you walk in humility, you can never act wisely. You see, every single one of us here are born with two things. You're born with potential and you're born with pride. And until you say no to your pride, you will never live up to your potential. Pride says, I got this. Pride says, I can do this myself. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, I'm smarter than God. Pride says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And until you walk in humility and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. You know more than I do. You'll never, ever, ever, ever live up to your potential that could be what might be, what ought to be. Guard your heart with all diligence. Keep the perfume of your character covered. Now, we're not done. I'm gonna try to move fast. Number two is this. Wisdom guards you from being careless. Guys, I've watched this in almost 20 years of pastoral ministry. I'm telling you, listen, I want you to succeed. I want you to succeed so bad. I want you to win in life so bad. I want you to have the joy of knowing Jesus' life abundantly, is what Jesus said, I've come to give you. Uh, Many of you are going to be married. I want you to know the joy of married life as God intended for you. You're going to know the joy of having children. Some of you are going to know the joy of being single. Well, somebody. It's not like a death sentence. Paul called it a gift. Hey, wherever you find yourself in life, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if you walk with God, you will be right in the will of God. And I can promise it's going to be the best life under heaven. Now, it's not your best life. The best life is there, not here. But the best life under heaven. And that's what the theme of Ecclesiastes is about, which is why you see that phrase over and over again, under the sun. He's dealing with life under the sun, not above the sun. And you have a chance to live the best life under the sun, the best life walked with God. That's how you live out the potential God has for you on this earth, to know the joy of singleness or the joy of marriage, whatever that place in life you may find yourself. But listen carefully. After 20 years of ministry, I have become increasingly convinced of this, that there's a lot of suffering in life. We live in a broken world, cursed by sin, and that means bad things are going to happen to all men and all women. But I'm going to tell you something. Most of the suffering in life is self-inflicted. We do it to ourselves. Either by sinful decisions or just plain stupid decisions. See, not every decision is sinful. Sometimes we're just plain stupid Stupid. And this is what Solomon's dealing with now. We're not dealing now with sinful stuff. We're not dealing with flies in the ointment. We're just talking about carelessness, being careless with life. Look at what he says now. He says these words. He goes on, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. You've heard that old adage don't work harder, work smarter, right? Well, check this out. He's talking now about a guy. He's not doing anything wrong, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Uh, He's a ditch digger, but he falls into his own ditch. He wasn't being sinful. He was just being stupid. Look, if you dig a ditch and you fall into your own ditch, like you knew it was there. It wasn't a surprise it was there. You were just being stupid. Yes? You are a stonemason. He says, let's say you quarry out your own stone, but then that own stone, it falls on your foot. You weren't being sinful. You were just being stupid. You're being careless. Listen, he's saying wisdom guards you from carelessness. Those who live wisely live with personal boundaries. Why did the ditch digger fall into the ditch? Because he didn't have any boundaries. He got too close to the edge. Hey, if you want to live abundantly and live wisely, quit dancing on the border and living on the fringe. You want to see how close you can get to the line without falling over the line. Uh, You want to see how close you can get to the sin without actually committing the sin. You know what Solomon is saying? You don't want to fall into the ditch. Get away from the ditch. Uh, Put some boundaries in your life. If you're you're a stonemason and you're carving out the stone, uh, you you might put some, some parameters in place. You might put some precautionary measures in place to make sure that stone that you've been working on doesn't fall off that thing you're working on and crush your big toe. You need some boundaries in your life. Wise people seek boundaries. Wise people seek accountability. Hey, I can tell you about some of the boundaries I have in my life, personally. Look, I already told you about this little fly in the ointment, this app, guess what, yesterday, I have an executive staff, guess what I told them, I said, guys, I want you to know something. There's this app on my phone, last three or four weeks, I've been getting my news off this app, guess what I've discovered? There's usually a little eye candy on there somewhere. I want your accountability. See, integrity seeks out accountability. Integrity purposely puts boundaries. And that's why we talk so much about community. You can't do it solo. You can't do it in secrecy. You can only walk this out year after year after year after year, not just in your 20s, but into your 30s, into your 40s, into your 50s, so you can look back on your life after decades, and your life only becomes more a thing of beauty because you have taken care of every fly in the ointment. Because you put boundaries in your life. You've got accountability. And what's some practical boundaries for my life personally as Pastor Phil? Listen, some common sense boundaries. I went and got coffee today with Pastor Chad. It was just me and Chad alone. You know why that was okay? Because there's like zero probability. I'm going to leave my wife for Chad. (laughs) And it's not because I don't love Chad. I love Chad. But like, dude, I am not attracted to you, okay? I do not find you handsome. I'm glad your wife does. your wife does that is enough <laughs> now here's what I want you to see look it wouldn't be a sin it would not be a sin for me to go get coffee alone with a member of the opposite sex it wouldn't be a sin but would it be wise somebody say no again no everybody say no Yeah, nobody wakes up one day and thinks to themselves, I think I'm gonna have an affair today. I think today's the day. I'm gonna have an affair. I'm gonna commit adultery. I'm gonna blow up my family. (laughs) Nobody thinks in those terms. It begins with one little fly in the ointment. One little compromise. And so personal boundary is this. I won't be alone with a member of the opposite sex unless she has blonde hair and green eyes and a ring on her finger and by the way, her name has to be Krista. Okay, that's the one I'm married to. You tracking with me? It's just why, it wouldn't be a sin for me to have a lunch with a female I'm not married to. It's not the issue. This Is it wise? Is there boundaries in your life? I can tell you, as my children, my young adults began to date, uh, we began to talk about boundaries in the dating relationships. Now guys, tonight, listen, some of you aren't walking with Jesus, you have no boundaries. Romans six twenty three says, the wages of sin is death. Yes, there is a way that seems right unto man. The world's wisdom is deception. And will always eventually end in ruin. It will, del- it will eliminate your potential of what could have been. But if indeed you're a godly young adult, you're a godly single, you're pursuing a life of integrity, you're trying to keep the lid on the ointment so flies don't get in, there's some boundaries you need to put in your dating relationships. If you want to get to the altar someday and get married, and you want it to be more than a wedding, you want it to be holy matrimony that is holy in God's eyes, and you want to stand at the altar someday and be in a place of blessing where you can honestly say, God, bless me. Bless my marriage. God cannot bless sin. He can only bless obedience. Now listen. Here's the reality. If you don't put some boundaries in your dating relationships, you won't make it to the altar still holy. You won't. This is what I told my young adults as they were growing up, starting today, and I told my daughter who got married two years ago. I said, honey, here's a boundary you ought to think about. That you do not kiss that man you're going to marry until you get to the altar. The first time you kiss him is when that pastor Says to him, you may kiss your bride. It's a boundary. Now, the bar is high. Here's the point. Would it be a sin to kiss? Not necessarily. But would it be wise? Not probably. Because, see, we're not made just to stop when you're in love. We're not made just to stop with a kiss. Mm Mm-mm. No, we're made when we're in love, that it just begins with a kiss, it doesn't stop with the kiss. You tracking with me? Come on, let's be honest. So if you want to keep your relationship in a place of integrity where it really is holy, then it's better to have that boundary in your life ahead of time. And this is what I know about my daughter, I know this for sure. I think she gave away her kiss before she got to the altar. But she didn't give away anything else. You understand what I'm saying? What are some boundaries in your life? Listen, for some of us, we're fooling ourselves. You you drop that girl off at at her house after a nice date, and you want to come in at midnight just for a cup of coffee? Stop it. I'm not buying it. You ain't just coming in for a cup of coffee. You may the first time, you may the second time, but it ain't just going to be for coffee the third time, fourth time. You need to put some boundaries in your life. And that's what we're talking. This is what this is what Solomon is talking about. Wise people put boundaries in their life. Romans thirteen fourteen. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He's saying, look, don't let temptation and opportunity ever intersect. It's going to be really hard to do the wrong thing if you're not in the wrong place with the wrong people. Make no provision for the flesh. In other words, don't make a way where you could cave in to temptation. Don't even be there in the first place. If you're trying to kick alcohol, don't get a job in a liquor store where temptation is everywhere. Hey, there are certain people you need to avoid. When I was your age and I was trying to start walking with Jesus and I had such a hard time walking it out for so long. And the reason why is I kept putting myself back in the wrong place with the wrong people. And like my paradigm pastors like to say, some of us need some new playground and new playmates. Because when you keep going back to the same people in the same place, you can be promised you're gonna do the same thing, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Number three, wisdom guards your conversation. Wisdom guards your conversation. How many of you would agree that so much of the time people get in trouble, not by what they did, but by what they said? You know what Solomon's about to tell us? We need to learn to mind our mouths. Wise people learn to mind their words. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler's no different. You know what he's saying? You don't learn to control your words, it's going to bite you and it's going to poison you. In the same way that snake that's not charmed, that's not under control, when you don't have your words under control, you can better believe your words are going to come back to bite you. He says, the babbler's no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of the fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Solomon is emphatic here, isn't he? Those who live wisely know how to mind their mouths, because in the end, what gets us in trouble is often what we said, not just what we did. And so let me ask you, how are you using your words wisely? For some of us tonight, we are using our words to tear other people down instead of build them up. Our words are full of sarcasm. Our words are full of slander. Our words sometimes are silent when we should be using our mouth to say something. We say nothing. Wise people do this. Instead of fighting to always be understood, how about you listen so you can understand? See, wise people know when to open their mouth, and they also know when to open their ears. And I want you to see how Solomon begins to close out these words of wisdom. He comes to the end of the chapter, he says this, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. In other words, woe to a country when their political leaders, their kings, have authority, but they don't have the humility to live wisely. They abuse their authority and act irresponsibly. You understand this was Tommy Morrison's problem. Tommy Morrison's problem did not end that night in 1993 when I put him behind bars. They were only just beginning. I followed his career for the next three years. Tommy Morrison knocked out George Foreman for the WBO World Heavyweight title. George Foreman was a legend in the boxing world. He knocks him out. George Foreman for the WBO heavyweight title you might say he grilled George Foreman oh that was bad he did now here's the deal he wasn't done Uh, there was Lennox Lewis who had the belt everybody wanted he was the WBC world heavyweight title holder he was working his way to fight for the undisputed title of the heavyweight of the world. And on his way up to fight Lennox Lewis, there was one fight to get to the big money fight, the big title fight, and it was meant to be with a nobody. It was meant to be a warm-up fight, but because he partied frivolously and lived wildly, he wasn't ready, and this nobody knocked him out in the first round. So he never got to the Lennox Lewis fight. He never got to the big money fight. And then it really began to unravel for Tommy because in 1996, I'll never forget, he tested positive for HIV and his boxing career was over. And in 2013, he died of AIDS on a ventilator. Just a shell of what he used to be unrealized potential all that might have been in an interview his son said these words Tim Morrison try being 20 and a millionaire you're not always going to make the most wise decisions Tommy was way too young to have all the money and fame that he had no here's the reality the money was not his problem The fame was not his problem. The females were not his problem. Character was Tommy's problem. He bought the world's wisdom, which is a deception, and it was his ruin. And I want you to see, this is what Solomon is now saying to you and me. We were all made in some way to be kings. You were made to be a king as a child of God. Revelation 1 and verse 6, he's made you to be a priest and a king. Revelation 5 and verse 10, he's made you to be a priest and a king. You were made for rulership. You were made for responsibility. He wants you to carry authority. But if you don't have the humility, you will not live with it wisely. You will use it irresistibly responsibly, and you will blow up your life and everybody. Now, he goes on. He says this in the very next verse, but blessed are you. How many of you would love to be blessed? Yes. He says, blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your prince's feast at the proper time. He says, for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, when your king who has authority, walks in humility, and he lives wisely. Oh, blessed is everybody. Listen carefully. You were made to be a king. God wants to entrust you with great things. God wants to do in you unbelievable unimaginable things but you cannot live as a king wisely until you have surrendered your life to the king of kings whose name is Jesus there is a high king and it's not you and I'm going to tell you there's a throne in your heart and there's only room for one on the throne of your heart there's only room for one on the throne of your home and his name is Jesus it's going to be Jesus or it's going to be you And tonight is a night to make the decision who's going to reign as King and Lord of your life. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus, but he was more than humanity. He was fully deity. He was the second person of the Trinity who stepped out of eternity and took on the form of humanity so that he could die on Calvary to redeem each of us eternally. And his name is Jesus. He's God who became a man to become our sacrificial lamb. He was holiness with human hands, and he took all of our sin. He took all of our blame. He took all of our shame so that tonight you can, as Jesus called it, being born again. Tonight is the night, if you never have, to place your faith in him to be forgiven of your sin, to begin walking with Him. And I will promise, if you will, you've got an absolutely unbelievable destination. You have honestly unlimited potential. Has there been a moment in your life that you placed your faith and your trust completely in Jesus Christ to forgive your sin? Have you surrendered your life to Him as King of kings, Lord of Lords and given him all rights to your life. You see what Solomon says is that only when you're submitted to the king's authority will you live wisely and know the joy of life lived abundantly. I want to pray for you right now and then I'm going to come down off this platform. I'm going to stand right here when we get done. If I can talk to you personally and pray with you I would love to do that with you. Jesus I pray for every person here every young adult Young man, young woman, Jesus, I pray that your gracious hand be with them, that, Lord, they would live out everything you've said about them in heaven, that they would live the potential, the unlimited potential that you have for their life, the joy, the beauty of life abundantly, and that tonight, if even one, or two or ten, have never really placed their faith in you, that tonight would be the night that would all begin anew. In Jesus' name, amen.